Hey, Domestic Dawn, Josh Landers here with a late night podcast. Late night in the garage tonight. I had to move venues, so no longer in the truck right now. Uh, the kids and the wife went to sleep, so now I'm in the garage trying to see how this recording sounds. So we'll see how it goes. All right, we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of things I want to get to, but the first thing I want to get to is just parents. I hate parents. That's what I hate. I hate parents. And I don't mean my parents, but the parents that are around today, in this day and age, in 2019, or at least since I've been a father since 2005, those are the parents I'm talking about, the modern parents, what we kind of have in media terms labeled the helicopter parents, the overly concerned parents, the douchebag parents, whatever you want to call them, the parents that I hate are the parents that I am surrounded by as a parent, if that makes any sense at all. And that's what we're going to be talking about. I put many labels on them, and we'll see what kind of labels we come up with. We'll see if there's any agreeance to those labels, but they're my labels, so it doesn't really matter. So that's what I'm going to be talking about, those parents. So again, don't get, on all, don't get all over me. Don't get on me and say, oh, he hates parenting. That's what he hates. He hates his own children. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the parents of those children. I'm not talking about the children themselves. I'm talking about the hoverers, the overly protective people, what I like to call the Purell parents. So here's how I define Purell parents. They don't let their kids get dirty. They don't let their kids eat rocks. I saw this one parent years ago when my daughter was pretty young, maybe four years ago, five years ago, maybe she was around two years old or so. And we went to the park in the small town that we lived in. And I would let her go down the slides. She would climb up the steps and the stairs and try to swing from the monkey bars, even though she was too small to, but I'd have to hold her up and she would hang on like a little monkey until she fell or I caught her. You know, just let them kind of run around. She would play with the wood chips, which probably has just dog piss soaked into it. Uh, probably has human kid piss just soaked into it from years and years of just shit-filled diapers sitting on them. So it's, it's a dirty place. The park is a dirty place. I'm sure those slides, if you're going to get some sort of black light and look at all the blood and spit and piss and bacteria that are on those slides and especially on the monkey bars or anything that little grubby hands hold on to, you would see just a spectrum of bacteria, uh, microbes, as far as the eye can see, I'm assuming. It would look like a fucking Dexter uh, uh, murder scene under the black light with all that those spots and all those uh, uh, germs, right? So if you're a germaphobe, the park is probably not the best place to go, especially with your kid. And if you're a germaphobe or if you're scared of your kid catching some sort of weird sickness or virus or just the common cold going to the park, you probably shouldn't take them to the park. But now we have Purell, or we've had it for a while. And the reason I call them Purell parents because I came across this, I don't know if she was a single mother, but she was just there with her child and she had her other mom friends there. And I was the creepy dad, stay at home dad at that point with a shitty job that I didn't work that much at. Well, I, it wasn't a shitty job. It was just a part-time job. So I was able to stay home with my daughter, uh, not full-time, but here and there, have the mornings off, go teach in the afternoons or have the afternoons off and go teach in the morning, whatever it was back then. I can't remember. But the idea of having Purell in their diaper bags or just in their strollers or just in their back pocket made me just uh, kind of pissed me off because you don't need that. A kid should get dirt on their hands. A, should, a kid should be eating grass and sticking sand in their mouth at a certain point in their life. I think so. 
it builds your immune system, right? Isn't that what we heard all the time? Don't wash your hands too much. Uh, wash them just enough, especially maybe during cold season, whenever that is. It seems like cold season's all fucking year when you have kids. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean you have to carry this antibacterial gel all the time. But this one lady who kept having her daughter or son, I don't know, some kid, uh, some snot-nosed little kid, just like every other kid that was at the park at that point, has, has snot running on their face, right? They have just boogers cast onto their rosy cheeks that's how kids are they're always coughing they're always sneezing they're always picking at their ass they're always just doing something gross that's how they learn and that's then they then they stick their fingers in their mouth you can't stop them from stop them from doing that their whole life but this woman every time their daughter her daughter went down the slide she would squirt a couple of drops of purell in the little girl's hand and she would make her wipe the gel until it dried so you're 99.9 percent safe or whatever the percentage is for purell 98.6 i don't know you're gonna kill all those minor viruses or bacteria or whatever it is i'm no scientist i'm no viral virologist but i just know uh virologist i think it's called a virologist uh, but I, you're not gonna kill them all so it's impossible for purell the company or whoever makes it it's probably some it's probably made by monsanto right probably i don't know doesn't monsanto own everything so you're squirting roundup in your hand basically to kill the natural germs and bacteria that kids are leaving behind so that your kid will get immune to those things if they stick their hand in their mouth at least that's my viewpoint and this isn't a vaccine or anti-vaccination debate so shut the f shut up on that i know you're thinking oh what he's an anti-vaxxer i'm not an anti-vaxxer i have some uh, my son's fully vaccinated my daughter <gasps> god forbid is not yet fully vaccinated uh i'm not against her being vaccinated i'm just a little wary of certain vaccinations that are out there uh and the thing that i guess that just pisses me off going back to my punk rock roots is just having uh some sort of federal or government of any kind telling me what i should be doing and what i have to be doing federally mandated to get your kids fully inoculated and i understand it herd immunity it's a good thing we've eradicated polio pretty much and measles up until these little uh, epidemics that have been happening later on which is another funny word a epidemic they're not epidemics measles are going to uh, pop up and if the world was vaccinated the whole entire world is fully vaccinated viruses will find a way to fuck you up they just will that's their job they're mutating they're trying to kill cells that is my understanding of that type of science and i'm probably way off i'm totally wrong because i don't know much about it i just know that that's I, that's what they do viruses that's their job right it's like a worm's job is to burrow itself in the mud all the time and not dry out a virus's job is to find healthy cells and rub them out right kind of uh, kill them that's that's the goal that's nature so purell squirting on the yeah it might save the kid from the common cold it's not going to save from anything else it's not going to save the but why not just let the kid go on the slide do we have to wash our hands after every single trip down this eight foot slide no do we have to wash our hands or squirt this fucking scientifically uh lab created gel into our hand it, does it really matter that much are you that scared of airborne pathogens are you that scared of the world that your kid, your special child, right, out of all children in the world who are fully vaccinated or not, is that virus on the slide at a local playground in a small community, is that virus going to kill your child? No, it's not going to. They might get the sniffles. They might puke. That's what kids do. They have to go through that process. And kids who don't wash their hands 
as much. I'm not saying they never should wash their hands. They should. After they take a shit, yeah, at some point, after they're out of their diapers, they got to learn how to wash their hands properly. If they accidentally touch their diaper after they took a shit or piss, yeah, you should wash their hands for them. That's good parenting. That's what you should be doing. If they're completely filthy coming in, playing with money, yeah, wash their hands before they stick them all in their mouth and eat. But you're at a park. You're not supposed to be helicoptering around. You're not supposed to be doing that around your children all the time, making sure, Bobby, don't do, here's some Purell. Let me get the diaper bag. Don't touch that. Or the wipes are even worse. Purell, yeah, that's just something you could buy at the front of Rite Aid before you go to the cashier, before you buy whatever you're buying. You could buy those little bottles of Purell right there for 99 cents or whatever they are. So that's convenient. Okay, maybe I should have some. And I have bottles for camping when we go camping too. I have bottles of antibacterial gels. I have that for camping. You squirt it in your hand. It's an easy fix if you're on the beach and you, you touch seagull shit. Or you happen to touch a dead fish because you're trying to show kids what nature is. And you have this fucking dead fish smell in your I understand having Purell for that. The wipes are even worse. You know, they have these antibacterial wipes that I've seen people pull out. Not baby wipes, but antibacterial wipes. You know, the ones that Clorox makes, who's probably owned also by Monsanto. Uh, but what Clorox uh, make? you could wipe your counters down and all that stuff after you eat. And, oh, Jesus, really? Does everything have to be so clinical? Does every, everything have to be so bleached? And now we're doing it to our kids' hands? So those are the PRL parents in a nutshell, I guess. I'll probably touch on them later on, too. So, And it seems like the Purell parents, the people who are overly concerned with their child getting the common cold, that they're so overly concerned that they'll keep their child home with the, the not even a fever. Just even if the kid says, Mommy, I don't feel good at five or six years old, and you take their temperature, and they're normal, or fairly normal, maybe a half of a degree uh, above normal, which is actually fairly standard for a child to run a little warmer. Then maybe 98.6 is what we always heard. I think most humans run a little bit high or a little bit low. No one's ever really perfectly, ever perfectly 98.6, are we? I don't know. I always feel fucking hot. I'm a sweaty bastard. So maybe that could be just my problem that I might have to go get checked out and get some blood work done for my sweaty ass. But what I'm talking about is more of, of the, the parents who are just so scared, I guess. So scared of their child getting sick. And what's even worse is that we get as parents, we get pushed to feeling our kid is sick by their teachers. So once they get to school age and we bring them to school, right? We bring them to the class. It seems like the teachers are overly scared and concerned that, oh, this kid's sick. Get him out of here. Which is okay for certain sicknesses. If the kid's puking all over the place, it, he should probably, he or she should probably go home, right? If they're running a massive fever, then they should go home. If I guess any concern with uh, uh, dizziness or just the idea of, yeah, the, 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 any major disease, you know what I'm talking about, any major sickness, I think that kid should probably go home. The teacher is there to keep the safety of the classroom and also the safety of that individual child and letting the parents know. Send that kid to the front office, go to the nurse's office if you have one at that school, unless that nurse somehow just got uh, uh ripped out of the school system, which it seems like a lot of nurses are like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't pay a nurse now. We don't need one at school, obviously. Uh, but we can have, well, have guns in the classroom. Maybe the nurses can have guns. Maybe if we give nurses guns in the nurse's office, maybe they can have a job. So if you, if, yeah, they, that's where the kid goes. They sit there until the parents get a call and that fucks up that parent's whole day. But that's the, that's the job of, of a parent. Your day's gonna get fucked up sometimes. And I remember when my son was in kindergarten, he kind of had, had a little bit of a bullish 
teacher, I would say. A little boorish. Whatever is that is that a is that a adjective? A boorish woman who was always right. She thought she was the queen of the school. And again, a little brash, especially for a kindergarten teacher. I, I always consider kindergarten teachers a la 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 la. Hello, children. Those that's what a sh- kindergarten should be. Loving, motherly. And I guess if any fa- if any men are kindergarten teachers, they could be fatherly. But you know, they they could they're homey, right? They they make the child feel at home. This teacher was not one of those. So my son, when he was in kindergarten, he was quote unquote sick. And I got a call, and again, I was I was working, but I had a weird schedule, so I was, I was kind of had an off and on schedule, working Monday, Wednesdays, teaching all day, have a couple classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, doing some other side gig on the weekend, whatever I was doing at the time, just my life of jobs. So I was at at home, and I think I was actually had some time to write. I was trying to finish, I believe, my first novel, my first book, and I was trying to just kind of probably struggling at home, probably hungover. Probably just pissed because writing wasn't going well. Just trying to sit there and hammer out pages. Trying to get this uh, situation of creativity going a little bit deeper. And at least hopefully trying to get it more fruitful. And then I get a call. Uh, your, Rowan's sick. Your son's sick. Come pick him up. So, okay. And the school at that time was luckily only a mile away from where we lived. So, I hopped in the truck. And I went to go pick him up. And I pick him up. Oh, what's wrong with him? And right when I get in the classroom. He's not at the nurse's office. He's not at the front desk. He's just in the, he's in the classroom. So it can't be that bad, right? Nothing can be that bad. And right when I get in there, the teacher comes up. He's sick. Uh, take him home. And she just pushes him on me. And this little five-year-old kid, little blonde, toe-headed, blue-eyed kid was looking at me, looking at her. And he looked a little maybe flush in the cheek. But I guess he, he might have been tired. He might have a headache. I don't know what was wrong with him. Five-year-olds and six-year-old kids are hard to diagnose. Like, doctors have a fucking hard time do- diagnosing them. That's what, you just go through shit. I remember being sick for no reason when I was eight years old, just puking up milk in the back of my dad's Caprice Classic on the way to Las Vegas or whatever trip we were taking. Kids just get sick. It's either car sickness or just some random weird 24-hour virus you get from being around a bunch of other sickly-ass kids all the time at school or at preschool or daycare, whatever you're doing. So I pick up my son, and he's looking at me. He's looking at the teacher. He's looking at me, looking, and I'm looking at the teacher. I say, okay, wait, hold on. So what's wrong with him? That I, I was kind of in, probably in a bad mood. But I asked her straight up, what's wrong with him? And she talk, took me in the hallway, and she's, oh, he's sick. I said, well, what kind of sickness? I got to go home. What kind of medicine? You, have you diagnosed? Have you taken his temperature? Uh, what's wrong with him? Does he have a fever? Has he thrown up? Oh, no, no. None of those symptoms. None of those were done. None of those symptoms were even, uh, uh, I guess, seen on my, on my son's face. And she didn't really – she said – it's a while ago now. She said, he told me he didn't feel good. Something like that. He told me he didn't feel good. He seems tired today. So he slept in this little loft playhouse little thing that they had in the corner of the classroom. And he just laid down. And maybe he was tired. right? Maybe this teacher just, she didn't even give a, a, a chance for anybody else to look at it. Or she didn't even give anybody a chance herself to even give the kid a thermometer or take his temperature. Nothing, as far as I know. So that kind of pissed me off a little bit as well. So it took me a little, a couple minutes just to say, what? Why, why am I taking him home? And I did. I took him home, and I don't mind taking my kid home. I really don't. We could play together. But if he's sick and you take a kid home, I already told him on the way there, we're not going to be watching any movies. We're not going to be playing. If you come home sick, you're going to lay down. And he, in his five, six-year-old brain, he kind of understood, okay. And we, can, we can color. I can read you books. You know, we can lay in bed together. 
but you're just going to lay down. You're going to try to take a nap. So we got home. And what does he do? He starts running around. He starts playing. Daddy, can we go outside? Daddy, you want to do this? Daddy, can we do that? Daddy, 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 daddy. And again, this, I sound like a shit parent right now, which I probably am most of the time. But I was like, no, no, no. This is not happening. This is not happening because you're c- completely fine. So then I'm not getting mad at him. I'm not getting mad at him. I'm getting mad at the teacher and the school in general for calling me and saying my kid is sick when they have no clue what is wrong with him. And they don't even have a diagnosis yet again. Like I said earlier, what is wrong with him? They just sent him home on a whim. And what if I wasn't, what if I had some job where I couldn't get there right away? What if I, and my wife worked at the school at the time, which is funny because she can't get off school. They can't find a sub at 10 o'clock in the morning. So she can't leave. I was available, but what if I wasn't available? So what happens when you're a parent and you're not available? And I guess that's the goal of a parent to always be available for your sick kid. And again, I would be available for my, and I was available for my non-sick kid, my unsick kid. So I just got pissed at the teacher. So I'm like, all right, you know what? You want to play? I'm taking you back to school. So I took him back to school. I know that's not proper protocol. I know that's not a good parenting technique, but I took him back to school. And I t- told the front office, he's not sick. I actually have to go to work in a little while. It was too late for me to cancel classes at that point. And, but again, I think I just did it out of spite. And I did it out of that sort of, again, that mentality of Purell parents that I, I have been around since I've had children. And I don't remember any parents I knew when I was a kid being Purell parents or that big helicopter around you all the time. I don't remember that at all. My parents weren't like that. We're fairly, my brother and I, we're, we're latchkey kids. My parents worked all the time. So we're just kind of wandering on by ourselves quite a bit, especially during summertime or after school. We had to fend for ourselves most of the time. Not saying my parents weren't there. They were, but they worked all the time. They worked hours at, uh, when they couldn't be at home. And I'll get to back to my kid in a second. But when I was eight years old, I jumped off my roof stupidly in summertime. And it wasn't my friend jumped off too. And he just kind of slid off the top of my roof, just slid. You know, just kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like a wet fish going over the side of a railing. Just slid. And of course, I had to one-up him, so I had to jump. And I didn't go from the side of the uh, roof, you know, sorry, where you have the big, I had, I guess we had that V-style roof. And I went from the top of the inverted V. I went from the peak. I, I, didn't, go, I didn't slide off the side like some fucking wet salmon. No, I thought, woo, I, I leaped off. And right when I landed on the ground, I still remember the sound of my ankle snapping in half. And I crawled, crying, across the porch. My brother heard me. He was with our neighbor, a friend of ours. My friend, I think, just ran home. And I'm just crawling on the porch, wailing. And my brother said, ah, what happened? So he took me into the, our bedroom. We had bunk beds at the time. And I slept on the, he put me on the bottom bunk and I sat there with a broken leg and maybe a couple of ice packs or a a bag of frozen peas. I don't know what my brother gave me. He didn't know what he was was doing. He was 13. So I sat there for, I think six, seven, eight, maybe even eight hours until my parents came home from work. So a broken, I'm not saying I'm I'm some tough guy. I'm sure I was in misery and pain. And uh, I remember still just like the agonizing feeling of not being able to stand after I heard that horrific snap of my bone. But I, I stayed there for six or seven hours in a bed waiting for my parents. And then when, once my parents came home, then they took me to the clinic and they're like, yep, you're, you got a broken, you got a broken ankle. So what has happened? What has changed over the course of those 
25, 30 some odd years, or even over the last 15, 20, I don't know how, I don't know what's changed. But why do you call your, why do you call a parent so quickly now, schools, just to get them out of your hair? Or is it, same, is it the same fear that these PRL parents have of their own little children getting sick? Do, chill, do teachers have the feeling that they're going to get sick and they don't want to have the inopportune disease that is going around this classroom? Is it for their own safety? Is it for their own health? Are they really concerned that much with the class as a whole that this one little sick kid, and in the case of my child, my son, my unsick kid, are they so worried that that disease, that virus, is going to spread like wildfire across all those other 20, 22 other children in the class. I don't know, but it's pretty much bullshit. I, I think the standards of schools now have changed. I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, maybe I went home sick a couple of times when I was a kid in elementary school, maybe junior high. I, but if I was sick, I stayed home before I went to school. And of course, kids always lie. I'm sick. I don't want to go. And I just wanted to watch Scooby-Doo all day. And I think I manipulated my mom a few times. I knew I got it. I, I knew I got away with it, like every kid does. And my son tries to do that. He's gone to the nurse's office this year. And as a 13-year-old kid, I'm sick. He's not sick. He just wants to get out of class. So I understand that. I get it. But I don't understand the over-caution, being overly cautious from the teachers, and then also from especially the parents. And I can't fault all the teachers. I just had that one experience with that one teacher. But I just kind of see it whenever there's like a lice out outbreak, uh, whenever there's uh, uh, no measles that I've come across yet, whenever there's a flu outbreak, whenever there's some stomach issue going on or just head cold, they're so on the, I mean, is it, is it a legal issue? They're so scared. Of, oh, if your kid has any sign of anything, keep them home. If they have green snot, keep them. If they sneeze, keep them. If they cough, keep them. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. They can't fucking have eye, eye boogers, right? They can't have eye crust when they wake up in the morning or you have to keep them home now or they'll get sent home. And that's just, I, that's part of our society. We become a weak, we become, I think, kind of pussyfied to a certain extent on, on sickness and illness. And yeah, if you're sick, stay home. If you're sick, stay home. But sometimes you get sick when you don't know you're going to get sick. Right? I've, I've gotten sick going to my, a few, uh, my uh, kids' field trips before. And halfway through, I'm like, oh no, what's, oh shit, I'm going down. But I, we had to tough it out because we had to get the kids home. But that happens. Sickness creeps up sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, boom, and it hits you. And you have to go lay down. And that's understandable. <clears throat> I totally understand that one. But the idea of what, what do you have to, you have to basically preordain your sickness? What's the word I'm looking for? You have to tell a future? You have to see that, yep, I will be sick and I can't come in today. Or my son or my daughter can't come in today. They will not be able to make it. I don't know. People are just, in my mind, a little annoying too about sickness. And I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that, or the four listeners I have. Uh, if you've ever noticed that before, too, when you get sick and you tell someone, like, oh, I'm not feeling so good, I've had a scratchy throat the last couple of days, or, you know, my sinuses are really acting up. Have you ever noticed that drawback that people give you? Like, what? Well, stay away from me. Oh, stay away from me then. And they give, they kind of give you that three-foot buffer zone, as if that three feet between you and them is going to save them from the airborne pathogens that's coming from your body. Right? You think that's going to actually save you? There's some weird unseen wall, right? This block away that you, you have by sin. And then even the snarky fucking attitude that people have. Oh, oh get away from me then. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Right? Why do people do that? That annoys the shit out of me too. Just fucking get the cold. If you get a cold, don't fucking blame me. 
And they have, have people done that to you too? They blame you? Like, oh, well, you're sick. I think I got your cold. How's it my cold, motherfucker? It's not my cold. I got a cold from somewhere else. This shit's floating in the air, right? It's everywhere. So how did you get my cold? Don't fucking blame me. Man up. Man up and take the fucking sneezes. Take the sniffles. Take the fucking shits. Take the puking. Take it. All right? Take it. Your kids should be taking it too. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Fuck your Purell. You don't need it. Wash your hands when you need to wash your hands. And that's it. You'll be fine. You know, try to exercise. Try to eat healthy. Your body's going to break down at some point. That's what it's doing the moment you're born. Your fucking body's dying. Just take it. That's all it is. Purell's not going to help. What are we going to do and drink Purell next? Are they going to make that now? Is that something I can invent? A drinkable Purell? So when you get the shits and your ass is blasting off from some stomach virus that some four-year-old gave you at the park, can you drink Purell and that'll solve it? It'll flush everything out? So take take your wipes. Take your antimicrobial. Take your Purell. Just shove it up your ass. Just take it. Put it back in the diaper bag. Put it back in the stroller. Get sick every once in a while and deal with it. I think the generations before us did it. Yeah, they died at like 35. But I think, yeah, they didn't mind the sickness. They're used to it, right? I think we've become, put, the older we live, the more pussified we're becoming. Now we're living to 70 years old, 75 years old, right? Without even batting an eye. Ah, I'm 75 already. And that's now average. So I think over the time, staying older, longer, we've become just, like I said, pussies. Right, just pussies. So let your kid eat a rock every once in a while. Make sure they spit it out. Make sure they let them go down the slide and fucking slap their hands on on uh, on other kids' asses. I don't know what they're doing, but they're gonna get sickness. They're gonna get sick, and it's going to happen. And all we gotta do is man up, man up, deal with it, and put the goddamn gels away. But let me back up a little bit and go on the contrary of everything I just said. One good thing about Purell, right? Now, hopefully they can sponsor me. It, when I used it quite a bit is when I was working as a mortuary assistant for my 10-month stint at a small mortuary where I mentioned it at a previous podcast where I burned bodies, I cremated bodies, and another part of the job was picking up bodies from hospice, uh, from, from accidents that may have happened, from just general uh, out-of-nowhere deaths. So that was part of my job too. And my boss always had Purell around. We had soap, normal soap in the, at the office, at the mortuary, where we would store the bodies and have the little office for people to look at caskets and, you know, answer. we would answer calls for people who had questions about cost of cremations and urns and all those other, uh, you know, office, office-y, office-y things that goes on in a mortuary. So, but yeah, we had soap, obviously, at the office, but Purell was everywhere, too. And it was a quick fix. Uh, quick fix. If you're dealing with a dead body, you want to wash your hands. You want to have. You want to cleanse them at some point, just because the icky factor is that what it is? The ickiness factor. It's just after you dead. But then it's kind of funny because dead bodies don't have viruses anymore. They don't have pathogens. At least that's what my boss told me at the time. And he was a coroner for a long time. He did autopsies. I kind of probably I trust him. I don't think AIDS or any other uh, blood diseases doesn't it die with the host? Isn't that what happens? But I guess zombies are another thing. Dracula's undead. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it makes sense that if you have some sort of disease going coursing through your veins, that it dies when you die. That sounds uh, natural. That sounds like a part of biology and nature in general. 
But I, I don't. I don't know. But either way, there was Purell. So in the in the gutted out sort of Econo van that I drove around to go pick up bodies, where, where we had the gurney in the back. Yeah, we had we had a in the cup holder, one of the cup holders. We had Purell. So I'd squirt my hands after picking up a body, and I'll get to that point in a second. And I'll just squirt my hands generally sometimes. Uh, we're at the warehouse where I did the cremations. We did actually have a sink there with regular soap, but every once in a while there was also Purell bottles. It's like a Purell factory. They're they're all over the place. They're 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 set up at different stations. There was one at the actual oven. So if you got a little bit of ash on your hand, you you could put some Purell on there. If you uh, uh, touched a bot, I don't know. It was just there for whatever purpose. So I guess that's what I use it for. And uh, but I'd always wash my hands at some point too. But that makes sense. Dead bodies, and you're touching dead bodies. That makes sense to have Purell. Uh, and I guess if I I had one of my one of the parts of the job I had to do, which was interesting the first time I did it, was uh, uh, taking pacemakers out of bodies. And my boss was always pretty good at telling uh, myself and another assistant who worked there when there was a body about to be cremated, if it had a pacemaker or not, because that was not allowed to go in the oven. There's some sort of federal regulation about putting those in the oven. I don't know if they blew up. I don't know if it did something chemically uh, in the air. I'm sure it did something fucked up. Uh, so yeah, and sometimes when my boss didn't tell us, he always he would always let us know, and he trained us. Whenever you pick up a body and before you cremate it, make sure you check for a pacemaker. And it was just that you feel in the in the heart area, in the chest area above the heart, if there is some sort of hard metal box underneath the flesh, that would be the pacemaker. And I remember taking out the pacemaker for the, a pacemaker for the first time, and my boss was with me, and uh, I had a scalpel that was obviously extremely sharp. He had he had nice tools there for us to use. And again, I'm no surgeon. I dissected shit in college when I was studying wildlife years ago. Uh, I would dissect things, and it never really grossed me out. I've always been kind of a weird kid that way. I, I used to collect dead bugs. I used to kind of look at look at dead animals. Uh, I don't think I'm a serial killer. I haven't been yet, so I don't think that's going to happen. But I've always been interested. Nothing's ever grossed me out. Uh, I could look at blood. I could stick my hand in a fucking dead chicken and rip out its guts before I put it in a crockpot. That's never bothered me. So this didn't bother me that much, but it was a weird sensation to cut through uh, this pacemaker and feel it and then cut around the bulge of it inside the skin of this dead, of this corpse. And my boss was watching me one time and I was just gingerly doing it, trying to get the incision nice and even and nice and straight. And my boss, who was like the typical uh, law and order coroner, this is a typical Hollywood coroner, uh, he was goofy, he made bad jokes, uh, he was just kind of a cheesy older guy. And he just made horrific, cheesy jokes that you would laugh at, not because they were funny, because it was just so stupid. And he became religious. I think he was he was a recovering alcoholic, but you know, sober for years. And him and his wife were very religious. Uh, but he'd be, be be the type of guy to be eating on this big giant uh, hero, this big sub sandwich, while the cut while the cadavers in the background with his chest plate open, while the while the investigators are talking to him about the cause of murder. I don't know. He'd be one of those guys, just you know, eating, drinking cokes, diet cokes, and all that shit. He's that. He just picture that guy. So he was watching me, and I was just carefully doing the incision, trying to maybe not impress him, just not fuck up, not mess up. And I messed up a lot of that job early on, especially, which it's going to go into a lot of details through many podcasts, I'm sure. One of the more interesting jobs out of the 38 I've had in my, in my life. So cutting out that pacemaker, going back to that, he said, which is sort of his dry humor, and he said, uh, Josh, he's not going to feel it. 
So I didn't really know what he meant for a second. And he just said, just dig in. Basically, just cut away. So after that, I was just hacking away at this poor uh, dead body. And yeah, I just, you cut really quickly. Sharp scalpel goes in quick, easy, like a knife through butter. And, you know, I was able just to slice around this, this, uh, this device. And then you flap over the skin and the layer of fat which is typical. I'm sure you've seen it in doctor's offices when they're telling you about uh, the plaque in your arteries. If you've had any sort of, I don't know, visit to the doctor telling you about uh, heart health. Yeah, it's yellow fat, yellow fatty tissue. So flap that over and you can see this metal box, this shiny metal box covered, of course, in blood and other sort of, uh, uh, I guess, arterial uh, blend of some kind. So you cut through that little, uh, little, I guess, layer of fat and skin or whatever else the hell's in our body. So and then you can see it. And then what you do is you palm it. You kind of grip it like in the Indiana do Jones Temple of Doom when Indy fell over the was a Ganges River in India and the India witch doctor was trying to uh, reach into his chest and pull out his heart. You guys remember that? He, you, you make that fist, you know, that claw. And so I made that claw and he just pulled, yeah, I had gloves on. Well, of course, so latex gloves, and I get my hand around this metal box, and I just pull it out, kind of rip it out, and all these wires come with it, and it doesn't rip out clean, because it's attached to shit in there, it's attached to the heart, that's where you get, the pacemakers do, I think they just send electric fucking shocks to your heart, or make your heart beat, in some weird mechanical way, so I'm pulling this fucking, this like, metal jellyfish, uh, out, out of this guy's body, like, you would pull a jellyfish out of a tide pool, so I'm pulling this out and I had all these wires and then I had wire cutters somewhere and I just clipped all those wires off and then it comes clean out of the body with wires still inside the body. But I guess the wires can burn, but the box cannot. So we have this little metal thing and then, yeah, then I pull off my glove inside out, uh, put the, uh, uh, the contraption, put the pacemaker inside that glove and then we toss it into a, a bucket where I guess someone recycles pacemakers. I don't know what kind of industry that is. Uh, I don't know if some meth heads get the metal and break it down for, for cash somehow. I don't know where they go. I had never asked and I didn't really care. We just threw them in this bucket and my boss took care of it. So that was something. And of course, after I take my Glatex gloves on, it, I, my hands weren't dirty, but I'd use the Purell. I'd go squirt a couple things on there and go do the paperwork and then get bo the body ready for a cremation. I know this is gross. I know it's fucked up. So that was my job. And it's the shit people go through when they die. And it's good to know. At uh, one time, uh, again, I was taking a pacemaker out after I got a little bit used, more used to it. My boss wasn't hovering over me and looking over my shoulder to make sure I wasn't messing anybody's body up uh, or sending these weird chemicals in the, into the atmosphere through the smokestack of the oven. Uh, but yeah, when I, I was pulling it out. And I was dressed in a black tie and a white shirt. I think I just came back from picking up a body and we had to dress according. You know, you want to dress somber. Uh, you don't want to be too somber, but you don't want to go in there in a, in a fucking billabong shirt and, and baggy dicky shorts to pick up a body. You want to look respectful, right? Uh, so, yeah, I had a black tie on, white shirt. And I remember kind of going fast, getting this pacemaker out, ripping it out, and blood just splattered all over my white shirt. So I'm like, ah, fuck. So that wasn't good. I don't know if I had a spare, but I think I just wiped down the blood and the stains came out fairly quickly. You couldn't really notice it. So that was another fun thing that Purell was good for. Uh, and and I, I used it a lot. And the, the weirdest trip I think I had uh, uh, through that corner, uh, through that job with the, with the mortuary as a coroner's assistant was going out to uh, another county from where I worked. And it was about a half hour, 40 minutes away. And there was a body. And my boss already told me that I had to go pick it up. He had to go. He had to go do something else down south. 
I had to go pick up this body and he said, just to give you some warning, it's going to be a smelly one. This guy died in his apartment in the middle of August in a very hot inland area of a Northern California town. And I said, oh shit. He's like, that's going to be a smelly one. So he got me set up at least for that. But, and he also, with his little snarky kind of humor and his dry, again, witty kind of old man humor, he said, ah, the, uh, the corner out in this county is interesting. I said, oh, how so? And he just laughed, and then he went out the office. So I had that in my head the whole time. Stinky corpse, that I can deal with. But what's the, what's the interesting of this coroner? What does that mean, of this coroner in this other county? What is interesting about that person? And it was interesting. So what you need to do is picture Mickey Rourke in a dress. And not Mickey Rourke from... What was he, a nine and a half weeks? Not the young, good-looking Mickey Rourke, but the Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler, if you know what he looks like. Just picture him. Kind of similar similar hair, similar body type, and pretty much the exact same face, but wearing a dress. And that was the corner in this very rural county that I had to go pick up the smelly swamp body. And it, it, it was a shock at first, I, you know, I thought dead bodies would shock me, and they did at first, but over time, nothing shocks you anymore when you do a job. Just like flipping burgers at any fast food joint, you get over it, you just go through the mundane, you go through the act, your body responds and remembers, you have that, uh, uh, I guess, your core inside of you, and your brain can just shut off and, and do things without even thinking over time, uh, driving at 100 miles an hour, and you kind of think sometimes, how did I get here? Did I run a red light? Did I run a stop sign? Did I run somewhere over? You don't know because your brain just zones. So I was able to do that with dead bodies, but not with, with the transvestite. And I don't know if that's politically correct. Are they transvestite still? Or are they transgender? Or are they cisgender? No, that's that's me. I'm a cisgender white male. I don't know what you could... I'm calling, I'm calling him, her, a transvestite. I'll just call her Mickey. So Mickey had this dress and she was built, man. She was built. She had She had some guns on her. She was wearing a, a, a dress that was, uh, it was summertime, like I mentioned. So it was, it was a short sleeve, sort of tank toppy type of dress. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was a man. It was a man. She had a deep voice. She, like I said, was, was extremely fit for a 50, maybe mid 50 year old person. And it, it was a shock at first. And I, I went through this back door, backed the van up to pick up the smelly body. And, you know, she greeted me. She was courteous. She was nice. But when she was, when she was helping me pick up the body, I'm like, Jesus, this, this lady has bigger, bigger uh, buys than I, biceps than I do. Right? She, she, had, she had some guns on her. And so it was just a, a funny shock. And then nothing more than that, really. She gave me the paperwork. Uh, like I said, she was friendly. She wished me well. She said, so, sorry for the smell. She even warned me that it's going to be a long drive, the hour to get back to uh, the office to put the body away. It'd be a long drive on this hot summer day. Luckily, I had air conditioning in the van. So we loaded up this body. And you could already see when we're loading up the body, she was zipping this, this corpse up in a body bag. And you could see just a foot sticking out. And you could just tell by the, the look of the boot. And I couldn't see the skin. I couldn't see anything about the body. I just see this boot. And you could just see this boot is going to smell. It's like it's something that you would, a boot you would put in the garage after you mowed the lawn on a, 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 a after a 30-day rain in the Amazon. That's what the boot looked like. It was caked with shit. I don't know what it was. It just, you could tell it's not going to be good. This is not going to be good, uh, a good drive. So I could, I said uh, bye to Mickey. 
Uh, and in my mind, I almost said I loved you in The Wrestler, but I never did. I thought that would be a little too much. Got the body in the van, started driving. And the thing about the county I was in, like I said, it's extremely rural. And I think that's where they displace all the people who are were once in jail or who are about to go to jail for some sort of drug charge. And it's probably methamphetamines. It just seems like all of California dumped all the meth heads, all the people who are trying to recover, who are maybe probably on methadone. That's where they live. And I drove through the small town, got by the stinky lake. Right? There's, a, there's a smelly lake there. Not as bad as the body. But every time you go by this lake, you could tell you don't want to fish there. And if you catch a fish there, you don't eat it. It just smells. There's something on the bottom layer and it's like volcanic. I don't know. I, I heard the history of it at some time. But it just smells like a big giant fart. Big giant walrus fart while you're going by it. So that was actually welcoming to the smell that was starting to fester itself with inside the van. And I tried to have the AC on because it was hot. It's probably 105 degrees that day. Or close to that. So I'm driving through trying to stay cool. I have my white shirt and black tie on again, of course, to pick up the body. And I, I can't I can't handle the smell. The smell coming from the back of the van from the body strapped to this gurney was just too much. And I still have that smell just stuck in my nose. And I can't even explain what the smell is. It's just death. And it's just rot. And it's just something overwhelming and overpowering that you just can't get over. And Purell cannot solve that shit. I could stick, I could squirt a fucking bottle of Purell at my each nostril, and it would, I would still smell this decay. So I had to roll down the windows, and this warm air was breezing in. And when I rolled down the windows, it had sort of a twofold effect. Yes, it kind of helped the smell, but it also went through the entirety of this gutted out van and brushed back against the back doors and brought all the smell to the front again. So it was this sort of back and forth fucking ping pong of smell. And just, just imagine that warm air coming extremely hot air coming in i'm sweating then the smell then i'm sweating then the sm i had to stick my head out the window like a fucking golden retriever just to breathe and that was about the full hour so yes my boss warned me about that and the smell in particular he gave me a little bit of a, a an idea of what i might be meeting from the transvestite mickey rourke but that was the highlight meeting the transvestite mickey was the highlight of that trip it was definitely not the smell so when I got back to the office, my boss had returned from wherever he went, and he was just standing there, and I was wheeling the body into the back uh, uh, the back door, trying to put it in the freezer, and once you put it in the cooler, it won't smell as bad anymore, but the smell, smell was still in the van. I probably had to, I probably had to hose that shit out like uh, they did in Goodfellas, hose the trunk out after they stabbed the guy. Or actually, they dug up his body, right? They dug up his body after a month, yeah, and whatever it was. So that I felt like that. I would have to do that, clean it out, and or just air it out for a couple of days just to get that stench out of the van. So my boss, he's just standing there in the in the in the back room, and I'm I pull up, like I said, got the body out, and he just has a big smile on his face, big smile, and he says, "So, how was it?" And I knew he wasn't talking about the body. I knew he wasn't talking about the smell of the body. I knew he was talking about tranny Mickey. I knew he was talking about Mickey, and I said, good, and then he said, yep, did you notice anything? I said, nope, and then we just left it at that. We didn't say anything more. He had a good laugh. 
I had a laugh, and now I have a memory that I'll never get rid of. But more than the memory, I have the smell. The smell, like I said, I cannot describe. A smell that I cannot put into words, but something that every once in a while just gets stuck still in some weird hair lodged deep up in my nostril. It's just still there, right? It's like smells you remember when you smell a corn dog, you remember the fair. You smell cotton candy, you remember the carnival. You smell shit. When you, you know, smell sparks memories, and that's not a good memory that I want to have always sparked, but I'll have that until the day I become a stinky, smelly corpse that some young mortuary assistant will have to put Purell all over his or her hands after they pick me up. So that's the podcast for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time where I'll rant, hopefully not about dead bodies and Purell, but something a little bit more educational. See you guys next time.